are listening to Inclusion Evolution, a bi-weekly podcast that brings you insightful and engaging conversations on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the legal profession, the technology space, the world of sports, and our everyday. Here are your hosts, Lisa Mueller and Michael Kasdan. Welcome back to Inclusion Evolution. I'm Lisa Mueller, and we're back after a little bit of a hiatus. Unfortunately, Mike Kasdan's unable to join us for the next few episodes, but I'm very excited to say that we have a fabulous guest host joining us, Vivian Coco from Lick's Attorney in Brazil. Welcome, Vivian. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you, Liz. I'm excited to thank you for this warm welcome. It's a pleasure to be here once again and discuss important topics that can affect many women globally. Absolutely. And, you know, we're coming to the end of 2023. It's been a really, really fast year. It's hard to believe that, you know, we're almost at the end of the year. So I thought as we're approaching the end of this year and starting to head into a new one very, very quickly, that we would talk about the global pay gap for women, what it's looking like and what the future holds. And what I thought, Vivian, we would do is start off by talking about the countries with the largest gender wage gap. And just from a definitional standpoint, I thought just to put everybody on the same page and be clear, gender wage gap is defined as a difference between the median earnings of men and women relative to the median earnings of men. Now, the data that I'm going to run through here in a second and that I'm going to cite to is the most recent 2021-2022 data from the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, also known as the OECD. So without further ado, the 10 countries with the largest gender wage gap are South Korea at 31.2%, Israel at 25.3%, Latvia at 24%, Japan at 21.3%, Estonia at 20.4%, Canada at 17.1%. And I'm sorry to say, but not surprised, my country, the United States at 17%, Mexico at 16.7%, Cyprus at 16.2%. And then surprisingly, the Nordic country of Finland rounds out the top 10 at 15.3%. But Vivian, one country I noticed not on that list is Brazil. Yeah, that's true. Uh, We are not on that list, but this is a problem here too. However, we've been uh, trying to work on it. Um, These statistics from the countries that you highlighted, they they show a concerning global trend. The gender gap is just not statistics. Of course, it's a reflection of the ongoing challenges in achieving gender parity. Uh, especially when we talk about professional settings, it's important to recognize that this gender wage gap is a complex issue and that it has a multitude of factors, including cultural norms, uh, historical inequalities, systemic barriers in the workplace and outside of it. It's also interesting to note that uh, variations across different regions and economies can demonstrate uh, the pervasive issue is not limited to one area. No. It, go, it is spread everywhere. Yeah, th- I think that's what's interesting about this list. It's global. Um, it's uh, wide-ranging. Like you said, it's not just the Northern Hemisphere or over in Europe. Um, it's 
pretty widespread. There's some statistics also from the World Economic Forum that says, and it's a very depressing statistic, that it's going to take women over 100 years to close this gender pay gap. And um, that's a really long time. I don't plan on living that long. I'm sure you probably don't either. I really would like this not to happen because I will, I don't plan to be working for a hundred years no. more. So <laughs> this, this, I would be glad if uh, we could do as a society, as a whole, if we could do something to make it easier and faster to reach this, this gender gap. Absolutely. So, Vivian, I mentioned how Brazil wasn't on this list of the top 10 countries. And, you know, it's interesting. I was reading that in July of this year, the Brazilian government approved law 14611-23, which established that private legal entities with 100 or more employees are required to guarantee equal salary and compensation criteria for women and men exercising the same position and undertaking work of equal value. Can you tell us more about this equal pay law and what the reaction has been? You know, it, it seems like a step forward. Yes, it's a step forward. This this recent approved law was very much publicized here in Brazil. It is a significant step towards gender parity. Uh, basically, what the law mandates is equal pay for equal work. The new law determines that companies with 100 and more employees must publish salary transparency and remuneration criteria reports every six months. Yes. And these reports must include a lot of data. Uh, of course, they would be anonymized because of the LGPD that we have here, but uh, they include information such salaries, proportion of women and men in board and leadership position, which is a technical issue, yeah. uh, race, ethnicity, nationality, age. Um, and if any disparity is identified through these reports, the companies must present and implement an action plan to mitigate it, including objective goals and deadlines. Uh, this law also includes a fine of up to 3% of the entire company payroll, oh, which can wow. be huge. That can be huge. In case that the company fails to provide the requested information or to mitigate the disparities. The Brazilian market is still waiting for more definitions on that. For example, last week, we had the publication of a decree, Decree 11795 that regulates two specific parts of this law, including the publication of the reports by the company in its website and social media. So transparency needs to be 100% transparent. Wow. So you will not only need to input this data in the government's portal, which is not ready yet, but uh, the companies will also need to public make it public available to the entire society. So what's the response been? I mean, you've got to, you know, submit these reports every six months and there's a potential for a really large fine here. You know, was this something mm -hmm. that law firms have this on their radar? Or was this something that caught firms by surprise? Uh, I, no, it didn't caught the firms by surprise, but uh, this... This law is applicable only to companies or firms that have at least 100 registered employees. 
However, the scenario of the legal market here in Brazil shows that less than 30% of the attorneys here work inside of a law firm, while the majority works out, uh, autonomously or on public institutions. Or Interesting. Agencies. Okay. Uh, in addition, the law firms, which represents less than 30% of the lawyers here, they, in its majority, they are very small. They have less than five attorneys. So they are very, very small. This will not be applicable to them. No. So less than 5% of the law firms we have have more than 100 people. This including attorneys and staff. So uh, as most part of the people inside of a law firm are lawyers, Right. And lawyers are not usually registered employees. They are partners. The law will also not be applicable to them. So this is going to apply so, to a really small subset of law firms. So this will apply. So I, I don't know. I, I could guess something like 1% wow. of the entire legal market in Brazil. Uh, I, I believe this will impact much more the... <laughs> labor law firms that will work to represent companies that will be faced, uh, industries that will be faced with this new regulation than the law firms themselves. It seems like progress forward, and I guess it is. It's only going to apply to a small minority. But there have been some other interesting things with respect to gender parity outside of pay that have been going on there in Brazil as well that I wanted to ask you about. And I know even more recently than this uh, law of 14611-23, you had Brazil's National Council of Justice, which is an administrative entity that oversees the judiciary there, approve a rule in September that was aimed at promoting gender equality within the appellate courts. So talk to us a little bit about this gender equality law as it relates to the judiciary. This seems like Unlike the gender pay law, this is going to apply to a lot more individuals. Yes, it, this was a groundbreaking decision when the Brazilian National Council of Justice, which is the administrative entity that oversees the entire Brazilian judiciary here, when they, they approved this rule that aims to promote gender equality within the appellate courts. And it's interesting because it not only addresses the pay gap, also seeks to promote gender equality within the, the judiciary, which is different from only gender pay gap, because you can have people that don't earn the same, or you cannot have representatives at all, which is the case here. Women have been historically been underrepresented in the Brazilian judiciary. So this move uh, is a testament of the growing recognition of the need for systemic changes in all the spheres of our professional world. This was widely spread and recognized by women lawyers here in Brazil, because if they have, and a lot of them here have, if they have a sort of a hope to become a judge and to move to an appellate court, this is the way, you know, now they have a way to to try it because up to now, the, the scores is 
very uneven. We have, I don't know, less than 20% oh, wow. uh, of the appellate judges in Brazil, there are women. So the, the difference is huge. This new regulation by the Brazilian National Council of Justice, maybe it will change this figure in the, la- the I don't know, the next decade or something. So there's incentive now for female attorneys who maybe wouldn't have thought of going to become a judge. Now they can see a path forward to advancement, whereas before, given the statistics that you cited, it really just yes. didn't. It seemed pretty male dominated that why even bother? So that that's really encouraging. Very, yeah, very yeah. male dominated. And, you know, it, between the the new pay law that we just talked about and then this law relating to appellate judges, you know, it seems there's a lot going on in Brazil right now as it relates to gender parity. Why do you think this is all happening now? And was there something in particular that prompted this or is this just the result of years of discussion? I believe this is an ongoing debate uh, that is receiving more attention and traction in the last five years or something. The pandemic made even more clear the disparities faced by women, not only in Brazil, of course, but by women that have several functions that are seen as natural, but require a lot of time and effort to be accomplished. And also, I understand that this specific law, for example, the the one regarding the gender pay gap for companies, probably it's the reaction of the the last data presented on the latest survey by the Brazilian Institute of Geography and Statistics, which found that the difference in pay, the pay gap between men and women in Brazil increased again, Mm. reaching 22% in the end of the last year. So after this was published, of course, this was also widely uh, debated. Sure. It, it Very sad news, of course. Yeah, very disturbing <laughs> and, news. And then after that, we had this new law coming out six months later. So I understand that maybe uh, this new data forced them, forced the legislative to do something. Very interesting. Well, we're going to keep our eye on Brazil because there definitely seems to be a lot going on with respect to gender parity. But I do want to turn back to the gender pay gap that we've been talking about and go back to another report. And this time I'm going to talk about some statistics from the World Economic Forum's 2023 Global Gender Gap Report. And in that report, it was very interesting and probably not surprising to a lot of people. The Nordic countries, particularly Iceland, Norway, Finland, and Sweden, have closed 80% of their gender gap with Iceland again for the 14th year in a row taking the top spot. And it's closed more than 90% of its gender gap. But despite that impressive statistics, I'm sure many listeners are familiar and heard about the tens of thousands of women in Iceland, including the prime minister who back in October participated in a walkout to draw attention to the country's systemic gender pay gap as well as gender-based violence. And so there were close to 40 organizations that participated in the walkout, including the Federation of Public Workers Union, which is Iceland's largest association of public worker unions. 
Vivian, what I thought was interesting was that both paid and unpaid women participated in this day-long stoppage. And men were told not to take part in the strike, but that they could show their support by taking on additional responsibilities in the home. So Vivian, what do you think about advocating for a global walkout day for women? I think that would be really interesting to see the effects of such a day. What do you think? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is to think about what a man would do if one day of the year all women just acted like men. You know, not only a global walkout, which it's not just impactful, it would be revolutionary, but, you know, uh, the impact that all the work that we do and everything that we represent and that most of the time it's not seen. Absolutely. Uh, they, They would feel it you know, feel our pain. This would be an interesting uh, test. It really would be. uh, The the concept of a global walkout uh, is powerful. These actions, of course, help to bring attention to systemic issues faced by women, not just in the workplace, but in society at large. It's interesting because these transcends the dialogue. Exactly. You know, uh, it is not just uh, someone like us, for example, debating, talking, informing, writing, publishing the idea, data, etc. This is a concrete demand for transformation. Underscore indispensable role women play in the global workforce. I believe it's a powerful initiative and has the potential to catalyze meaningful changes on a global scale, if possible, to be done. I think it would be fascinating to see. I don't think we could get the whole world to do a walkout on the day, but I think if we got a couple countries to, you know, follow along, you know, we'll let Iceland lead the charge. I think it could have an impact and, and maybe, you know, help push the needle forward maybe a little bit faster. It would be it would be interesting an interesting experiment. Concerning the Iceland uh, example, there uh, you said that men would men were called to to su- show their support in action by taking on additional responsibilities yes. in the home. Yes, and this is interesting. Do do we have the data showing what happened? If they really did it, if they, they they should like do a research or something after that and talk to them and, and ask, so uh, how was your day? How you feel? What happened? Did anything change it in your perception now? I think that this would be valuable data to be published as well. That would be really interesting because I could see some men just saying, you know what, today is just a wash. I'm just going to sit on the couch and just tomorrow things will be back to normal. This is one day. Or did, you know, were there men that really did take it seriously and do try to, you know, take on the added tasks that their female partners do and then realize, oh, my God, I had no idea that, you know, 
I'm exhausted now. And this is what her every day is like. It would be fascinating if they collected some data on that. If they don't have kids, maybe these can backfire to the women because uh, they can do nothing and stay waiting for them to come back. You know, the next day they will have women will have to deal with the entire work from the day before exactly. and also come back to work, you know. But if they have kids, well, kids are not to be ignored. They cannot wait for mommy to come back home in the next day. So if they have kids, I'm quite sure this this must have changed something there. Yeah, it must have had some impact for sure. Yeah. So I'd like to talk about, you know, we've talked about the gender pay gap and all these statistics and, you know, what happened in Iceland. So I thought now that maybe we would turn and talk about what law firms and legal departments and corporations can do to address the gender pay gap. And I think first and foremost, Vivian, I think both men and women need to educate themselves and understand the specific ways the pay gap affects different groups of people. And not only those in your own community, you know, the women around you, but also, you know, women who are African-American or women who are LGBTQ or maybe they're veterans or been in the military or they're disabled. And I think you need to educate yourself by reading books. You know, there are plenty of podcasts out there like this one, watching documentaries. And then I think on top of educating yourself, I think we all need to reach out to our government representatives and we need to urge them to draft and pass equal pay laws, you know, similar to what we're starting to see happen in, in Brazil. And then finally, I think we need to make the time to use our voices and speak up when we can to advocate not only for ourselves, but for those who don't have a platform. Yeah, that's true. I think that uh, another important one is make sure that women have equal opportunities for advancement. Women tend to receive less feedback on their performance. They get fewer high-profile assignments. Yes. And they have less success to mentorship. Uh, also, when they have high-profile assignments, they usually are very much tokenized. You know, they don't have the... They have high-profile role, but not assignment, which is different. Very so different. So, lot firms... Yeah, and this 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 tokenization of the women, for, uh, not only in the legal marketing law firms, but everywhere uh, in a professional setting, this is getting very much fun because I've been hearing it a lot. I have the role they show me as a token, and they use my image and my presence yes. to validate, to legitimate the company culture, diverse culture or something like that but i don't i i don't earn the same of that my male colleagues do i don't have uh, the same assignments or i don't i don't have access to the same uh, trainings or benefits or anything like that so in addition law firms and other organizations they have to make sure that women have equal access to the people to the opportunities that will be accelerating their careers. Absolutely. And you mentioned tokenism, and I know that's something you have quite a bit of experience having researched. And we hear that a lot here in the U.S., particularly with 
um, African-American women in particular that are hired by law firms as well as men. And, and so that that is, I completely agree with you, a, a huge, huge problem. I also think that we need to make sure that in law firms and in legal departments that all hiring and promotions are fair and equitable. I think it's important for firms and legal departments to audit their reviews and their promotions regularly to make sure that they're not systematically rating men more highly and promoting them more quickly. I've seen that throughout my career in a law firm, unfortunately. I think we need to do a better job training lawyers and other managers to make sure they understand the impact of gender bias. And in law firms, Vivian, I know you've seen this too. I have as well. It really, uh, gender bias make is a huge impact on decision-making and we need to make sure there's clear and consistent criteria in place to reduce this bias uh, in employee decision-making and performance reviews. And in my own career, I've seen so many times where, you know, the male associates get promoted over female associates. And it only gets worse when you go from the partner level to the equity partner level in law firms. Oh, for sure. And this is not only a problem in the U.S., it's a problem here in Brazil. And I dare to say that this is a problem in almost everywhere. Yep. We need to, force, to foster an environment where the women contributions are valued equally and their career advancement is not hindered by gender biases. I think that organizations can start by implementing pay transparency policies and practices as the new law here in Brazil is requesting now, but not only for companies that have 100 or more uh, registered employees, but maybe this could be spread to smaller companies and institutions as well. We should uh, conduct audits that should identify disparities and for sure provide unconscious bias training to raise awareness uh, inside of the of law firms or companies and in the society as a whole, we need to know to be able to to change. And not knowing is the worst scenario. Not being conscious about your choices or uh, what, why you think something, uh, this is like that because it has always been like that. No, this, this, this has a reason and we can change it. But to change it, we first need to be conscious about our biases and how to change uh, them to a better lenses, you know, to, to see things uh, more clear. Absolutely. Very well said. And Vivian, I think this has been a really great and important discussion today. And I just want to wrap up by saying that although the pay gap is narrowing, it's still large. And really, when it comes down to it, salary disparity is a problem of justice and fairness. And we as women shouldn't have to wait 100 years to be paid equally for work. Like we, like you said, Vivian, neither you and I are going to work for 100 years. I, I really don't want to. Either. Yeah. <laughs> no, no way. So I think, you know, what comes out of our discussion today is that we all need to stand up, men and women together, and join the fight for pay equity. We need to educate ourselves about the issue, support policies and legislation addressing the pay gap, speak up and advocate for change and take action in our own lives to ensure that women and other underrepresented groups are paid fairly. 
And only by taking this action are we ever going to be able to create a more equal and just society for all. So that's it for this week's episode. Vivian and I will catch you next time on Inclusion Evolution. Thank you for listening to Inclusion Evolution. The views expressed during this podcast are solely those of the hosts and not of their respective law firms. Share your thoughts with us by emailing us at llmuller at casimerjones.com or mkasdan at wigan.com.